newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. Media project for more than 30 years. An opportunity for conversation on what's going on in the news media, and we're happy to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Rex Smith, former editor of the Times Union, now with the Upstate American, as it's called. Here with my colleagues, Judy Patrick, the former editor of the Daily Gazette of Schenectady, now vice president of the New York Press Association. Barbara Lombardo, formerly executive editor of the Saratogian and the Record of Troy. And Ira Fussfeld, publisher emeritus of the Kingston Daily Freeman and affiliated publications. Y'all okay? Thank you, Rex. Good to see you again. We have a lot of farmers on this show. Oh, you mean farmers, not farmers. (laughs) Informers. going to go out and take care of the North 40. Yeah, the back 40, maybe. We ought to say here as we get underway that it's been a tough beginning of the year. Here we are now in February, and we have seen in the first month of this year A continuing decline, a brutal decline, really, of the news media. I mean, at the national level, CNN, The Washington Post, NPR, Vice Media, Sports Illustrated is devastated. I mean, you could go on and on. You know, since 2020 until the end of last year, about 2,700 jobs were eliminated among journalists. And now, I don't know how many hundreds more. Where's it going to end? Right, will end. And and remember, for every journalist that goes away, those are stories that aren't going to be told. That's accountability that isn't going to be done. I want to mention the demise of The Messenger, which is this digital upstart based out of Washington. It was only around for a year. They pumped $50 million into it, and they just wasted the money. In fact, I would like to lay the blame for a lot of what's happened in journalism to just mismanagement. I know that we're losing advertising revenue. I know that that's true, but I think that you can't, uh, we have to realize that we have to be careful with how we spend our money, And uh, but we need to invest in good journalism. $50 million could have funded, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 local reporters at local newspapers. That money should have gone elsewhere, but instead, It just vaporized. And did they do any great journalism as they promised? No. Um, They regurgitated what other people had written. So, and they didn't give their people severance. They had a lot of high high profile people attracted to the messenger because they thought this was the the new form of journalism. This is what's gonna take us to the next level. Failed, and it's a sad day. There was nothing really new, I don't think, though, about The Messenger. That's the problem. It was basically an amalgam of news and features, many of them previously published, uh, just rewritten by their team in Washington. And that's not really a formula that works anymore, especially when we have so many great news organizations delivering targeted newsletters uh, that speak to people's specific interests, you know. So is there a future for general interest news organizations these days? Oh, boy. I want to believe that there is, but it's going to be a struggle to get there. 
when Judy mentioned about management issues and decision-making issues, it took me back to Alden Global Capital, the hedge fund that owns my former newspaper and, and uh, Ira's former newspaper. Talk about management issues and places that will just rape a newsroom until there is nothing left. What do you think, Ira? You're a, you ran the business side of things after being an editor. What would you do? I'm conflicted because I, I think that there are a lot of things that came together at the same time. I think surely, as I've said here before, there were missteps at the beginning of the internet age. The newspapers, by and large, did not take the threat that was coming to be a threat because we were so full of money. We thought we were invincible. The broader question I have now is as we look as we look inevitably to point fingers and try to figure out why these things happen is what could the media the legacy media done differently the new technology passed us by companies that were not making money were not making even more money companies that were making money were not making as much as they used to make and the trend was downhill would we have wished upon all of the if each of if we had a vote and every owner in the country whether an individual owner or a group owner presented the facts as to where they were versus where they had come from how can you blame the ownership for layoffs and for closures and for day Well there's a combination of that though Ira you're absolutely absolutely 100% right that the internet was created and the news industry did not know how to keep up they lost so much because of that. But now there are people who are owning newspapers, like Alden Capital, that are not investing in their properties. They are making money, and they are misusing those funds. And in uh, the Daily News in New York was having a walkout because of that. And then on the day we're taping this, on February 1st, Alden Capital papers in Allentown, Chicago, Orlando, Virginia, maybe some others, are on a uh, walkout today. They haven't had raises in years and the money they were making before was not nothing to write home about. They are not being supported by the company that is making money, and that's a terrible, frustrating situation when so it's not that they couldn't afford to do better for the communities they're supposed to be serving. They don't care about journalism. So whose fault is it that the, that the hedge fund is doing what hedge funds do, or is it for the company that sold the newspaper to the hedge fund to begin with? Who, who could be surprised what Alden or any other hedge fund or, or Wall Street firm does to a n- local newspaper? Because that's the way they they have to answer to their stockholders. Right. Uh, and you're right, uh, Ira. That is, it, what about the sales? Here's a, here's a point, actually, I think is significant. Judy was the editor of a family-owned newspaper, which is still a family-owned newspaper. And I have great respect for the folks who own the Daily Gazette because they have supported that newspaper you know, I'm sure it's much smaller than it was, but they didn't sell out. I know that the people who owned the record in the Saratogian tried again and again to get them to sell out, and they didn't. They were willing to take a lower margin, whereas when I was the editor of the record in the early 90s, the corporate uh, profit margin was still 36%, you know, an annual margin of 36%. Higher in some places. I'm sure. (laughs) But but I just think think an argument can be made that were it not for these places that are being squeezed, that there'd be nothing at all if the former ownership continued to run the paper until they just folded it up. I don't want to sound an apologist. I'm not on the payroll anymore, but I just wonder what would happen to my old paper or Judy or Barbara's old paper if it had not been sold to a hedge fund, which has squeezed the hell out of it. Would it still be in business at all? 
were it not for that sale? That is a legitimate question. Well, mm-hmm. well I think across the state, the uh, New York State at least, I think uh, there are there remain hundreds of of small newspapers that are, remain under local ownership by families that, and it's a point of pride to keep them in the family. There are issues um, again. The the owners of the Gazette, I think, didn't take much out of the paper at all. It was considered a contribution to the family, and I think that tradition continues among many owners to this day. It doesn't uh, always work, though, right? Because the Gazette has just acquired the papers in Columbia and Greene Counties, New York, which were sold by the Johnson family of Watertown, which were, they were wonderful newspaper operators, the Johnsons. Watertown Daily Times is a terrific paper. Right, and the Gazette also acquired the Recorder out of Amsterdam, the Leader Herald out of Gloversville. And my guess is to affect, you know, cost efficiencies when it comes to putting out a paper, um, printing a paper, distributing a paper. There are there are certainly those to be had. Um, so there, it's kind of a mini group of newspapers at this point. But I think that works better than the big approach that you've got to churn out 20 or 30% profit out of a newspaper in this day and age. A generation ago, newspapers were rarely profitable and people were, you know, the owners were raking in a lot of money across the country. I think we need to realize that this isn't an industry that you can squeeze tremendous profits out of anymore. And we need to invest in the content. I think what the biggest mistake we've made over the last decade is we've taken away content. And that's why people have fled. We need to work harder at investing in content, realizing that that's what will bolster us as an industry. Well, look what happened at the LA Times, which was wound up into the Tribune Company's portfolio, and the Tribune Company sold it to a private investor who poured countless amount of money into the New Los Angeles Times as a private owner. No, no stocks or no hedge funds. And what's happened now? They he got tired of being bled to death. And he's just now re- reduced the size of the newsroom by 20 percent. And so this is a private news. It all depends on how much money you have and how much money you're willing to lose. Right. right. Even the Washington Post has had layoffs. So. Yes. And owned by Bezos, one of the richest men in the world. You know, there is a, a measure of how much impact this has was done in research by a former editor of the newspaper in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, which is a fine little paper. I used to read it when I, because uh, I have an affiliation with Indiana. And he did uh, a study looking at local content of what has happened to the decline in Bloomington's local newspaper. It went from more than 1,100 items of local news in September of 2014 to 250 pieces of local content in September of 2023. So in those nine years, it has lost more than three quarters of its content. The number of obituaries stayed roughly the same, uh, but those are uh, now paid. Uh, So uh, you would see why. Obituaries have become quite a source of income. Yeah, amazing. Uh, But that is happening over and over across the country. And at the same time that that's happening, there is a concerted effort by especially right-wing politicians to do what they can to attack. Uh, That is, they have intentionally worked to undermine faith in news outlets uh, as they're trying to seize power in elections from coast to coast. And so by attacking the credibility of news media, these candidates are furthering the decline that is uh, because they don't want to have anybody looking over their shoulder, right? I mean, if you're Lee Stefanik, you don't want to have all these pesky journalists saying she won't talk to us and she's not telling the truth, right? Uh, mentioning a congressperson reminds me, and, and, and I were talking about the um, L.A. Times. There was a story um, the other day about 
the decline in coverage of Washington, of Congress. And, and that was part of the L.A. Times cutbacks, too, for most of or at least half of their staff down there. And so around the country, there's very little coverage in Washington of what the Congress people are doing. Now, I could argue on the one hand that maybe their coverage isn't worth, maybe it's not worth the investment in the time there, that they're just a bunch of sheep going to press conferences and they aren't really looking into things. Or we can argue that having a presence with people like Elise Stefanik or any of the other legislators who are in Washington and being able to bring stories back that might have national import but definitely would be important for your local readers, for your community to know. I think that's a grave loss. That kind of counts as a loss of local news. Yes, it's a huge loss. I, when I was the editor of the Times Union, I was proud that we always had a Washington bureau. There was, and, and we did focus that reporter on stories that nobody else had, so that it was really looking at the ways that our community intersected with Washington. That job is gone. And this is, again, a family-owned newspaper. Uh, it's a big family first but it's uh, <laughs> similar at, at the state legislature isn't it exactly and, and what you wanted from if you were a local paper who had a local reporter in the state legislature you didn't want the pack journalism you wanted them to come up with something that that your readers are specific to your your your, your area so that so you got something different you know there's a service called roll call that's been around forever it's a, a a subscription service where at least you can find out how your representative voted on a particular issue that um that used to be printed in a lot of newspapers i don't know as it, it gets picked up as much as it used to be but those are really valuable services i looked at you know i spent a lot of time reading local newspapers reading old local newspapers to to look at the kind of content we had and you know what does make a local newspaper does it do you have to have local government coverage do you have to have a mix of obituaries wedding announcements uh, you know what's happening with the chicken dinners it's it's interesting what what people think of when they want a local newspaper and what if something's missing is it truly a local newspaper um, do you have to have hard-hitting journalism every week or do you have to have local features um, sometimes those are negated if, if you know you look away if the newspaper only has obits wedding announcements uh, chicken dinners and yeah. Um, features. Yeah, it needs it all. You know, there it's almost a story of haves and have-nots these days because not-for-profit journalism, which, by the way, is represented by public radio that we're on, is is rising. I mean, I'm just reading that uh, WGBH News, uh, which is public radio in Boston, has now a grant from a, a, from a foundation to provide seed funding for a new equity and justice reporting unit. And the same is true... Uh, the Adirondack Explorer, a wonderful newsroom in the Adirondacks, is partnering with North Country Public Radio to create a diversity beat. They're advertising for the reporter now up in the Adirondacks, which has uh, traditionally not been a, a place where you would look for issues of diversity. And, and that kind of strength is coming through in not-for-profit newsrooms, wonderful not-for-profit newsroom uh, that I've mentioned here before, New York Focus, is trying to pick up some of that state investigative reporting. They just hired a, a terrific reporter, uh, Chris Bragg, who used to work for me at the Times Union, then went to the Buffalo News, and uh, New York Focus has now hired the Buffalo News reporter to work for them in the state capitol. This uh, not-for-profit model seems to hold promise. Well, but New York City Public Radio has had problems, and NPR Parent Company has had problems, so it's, they're not immune to it. Yeah. 
True. And when you live and die by grants, you have to spend a lot of your time or you have to have somebody devoted to renewing those grants. I wish there were grants for sustaining, you know, kind of the boring journalism of covering the, the city council and the school board. And those aren't out there. Um, are those the kind of um, stories that are going to attract readership and attract people to subscribe? I don't know, but um, I know that getting the grants takes a little bit of it, takes effort, takes resources, and will that be it out there forever? You get seed money for a grant, but what happens when that money runs out? Is that is WGBH going to be able to keep that person on staff? I mean, if, if I was a reporter, I'd think twice about applying for some of these positions, unless you, because you don't want to have to worry about losing your job after a year. Well, I don't know. I think you have have better shot with these not for profits <laughs> than <laughs> working. It just, for it just strikes me that we, we we're sitting in this room. I've I've been sitting in this room for well, Rex said over thirty years, and we've been doing this program, and for at least the last ten of these those 30 years we've had this discussion about this very subject and what and and we started having it when times were a lot better we sort of saw something was on the horizon and as you know every every few weeks we talk about it again and I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about it but things have gotten worse they've gotten worse they've gotten worse I don't see at the and the kind of discussion we're having here are the kinds of discussions that journalism think tanks are having all over the country if not the world and I, my own conclusion as we sit here and it might change next week is that we're still in a winnowing out process and that the legacy media is never going to be what it once was even if the legacy media cuts the cord entirely on print and only sticks to digital and and all of the other ways that you can get media out there but we're going to have to get used to fewer people doing it less money coming in to pay for it and and none of us going on these long, exciting publishers' meetings where we can stay, <laughs> you know, at a place like the Sagamore and enjoy oh. the, the restaurants and the golf for three days. It's just not. We can assure you that none of us. Yeah, we never. Most got of us to go sitting here never did those things. Well, no. No. but I did get to go to editor conferences. You went to Hawaii. For I did go to Hawaii, 1992. And I used to go to editors' meetings in Washington, and and spent and a lot of yeah. money was spent for that kind of. It was it was viewed as not only I guess a, a nice perk for the person who was going, but you did bring stuff back. You, I mean, the joke was ideas. Well, you mean you didn't bring you back? Bring, that's right. You the the mandate was come back with a couple of couple of things that we might try here. In fact, I, I agree with you, and I was always very industrious about and uh, and maybe scared to do otherwise. I went to every session that was offered on any of those conferences that I went to and because I thought that was my to, that was why I was to, being sent. Well, but you that that was why you were being sent. You would come back with some ideas. The the most valuable my my view the most valuable part of any of those meetings, whether they were publishers' conferences or editors' conferences, were not the panel discussions, but were sitting around in the bar, not necessarily because you were drinking, but you were exchanging ideas and experiences. I remember hearing stories from other newspapers in New York State and feeling a sense of relief that I wasn't the only one who had that problem. I had the same experience of getting to commiserate with your peers who you would never otherwise even meet and the shared experiences, learning from them, hearing from them, and the shared stories yeah. was it was invaluable. And that's something that's missing on so many levels now. Uh, forget about conferences, even in newsrooms where there's no longer a 
there's no longer an office. No, no physical presence. There's no physical Judy, presence. What Judy's experience is, because you're with the Press Association. Right, we you? still have a conference. Ours is scheduled for, I think, um, April, late April. And it, um, we are mindful of the costs, and, we're, and we hear from publishers and editors that it's tough to get there to have the reporters break away. But what we try to do is fill it with so much practical information that it, it, it's worth their time to come. Um, this year's ours is going to be in Saratoga. We typically have it in Saratoga or Albany. But again, we try to keep the costs. At the Gideon? It, um, I think it's at the Gideon. Yeah, I mean, and then in the fall, the publishers get together. Um, but again, it's not an extravagant event yeah, the, at all. You do a great job, I think, with the programs for those news conferences. Yeah, those are terrific. But I remember how we used to add days to the programs to try to make them bigger and fatter and people would my my predecessors editor of the times union scolded me when i became the president of the state ap association because we weren't ambitious enough because in texas the editors meeting included a golf tournament and they would come for three days and bring their clubs and everybody had this great time and newspapers had so much money in those days well, to i was what the, our my conferences with journal register company the ceo was a big golf nut and every conference went to a world-class golf course and you know, the green briar the the sawgrass where the the PGA it's what we did wow and again that's the company that was cutting huge amounts at that time uh, you know newsframe I was the editor of the record at the time in Troy and we cut the paper from 32 pages to 16 to save newsprint which is the second largest uh, expense after personnel uh, in those days and I felt terrible about it. I remember the first time I rode on the Troy Record float in the Flag Day Parade, uh, hearing people on the sidelines. Oh, it was a great experience. You know, big old newspaper behind me. I'm waving, throwing out candy. And people yelling, uh, if you can slip it under the door, don't bother. And, you know, uh, my canary is peeing through your newspaper because it's so thin. Uh, you know, people were really upset about what we had done to the newspaper. But you were having a good time playing golf, Ira. Okay. Well, not the way I play. <laughs> so, the, uh, so my point remains that we need to invest in content. It's content is gonna is our golden goose. That's what will that's what created us, and that will bring us into the future. We need to invest in in stories and telling people or getting people the information that they need going forward. I mean, we can't cheapen that experience for our readers, for our subscribers, and for the people who are paying attention to us the only way out. Yeah, I think that has to be absolutely true. Hey, let's take just a moment to talk about an ethical issue. This has been uh, too depressing. Uh, <laughs> in Boston, there is a great uh, columnist. Kevin Cullen has been the longtime Metro columnist for the Boston Globe. He wrote a very remarkable story called Dying on Linda's Terms about a woman who engaged in assisted suicide in, the home, in her home state of, uh, well, she had to go to Vermont because she couldn't get it done in Connecticut. And here's what happened. She needed to have someone sign an affidavit for her saying that she was in a clear state of mind, had to be someone not associated with her, not an heir, had to be unaffiliated. And the columnist signed that. That is, he signed her document saying that she was, in fact, of sound mind. Is that okay? Is that a problem, do you think? No, it was not okay. I mean, it, 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 he probably did it for all the right reasons, but he should not have injected himself into that story. He was, he was documenting the story, but should not be a part of the story. But why did it change anything? I mean, probably not, and maybe it's an old-fashioned point of view. But I'm full of those, so uh, I just, I just think you, there is a line that should be drawn about being apart and not being apart. I think that uh, that's not old-fashioned. That that's still very current. That he should not have signed it. Part of the story could have been as she's trying to get 
the signatures for it, and she probably could have gotten the signatures for it. Um, I think she just needed that one signature from him and someone else that she'd already gotten. So maybe maybe it would be a different situation if th- if she was nearing the deadline to do it and there wasn't a second person to sign, and he had to decide whether he's going to proceed with the story or whether he's going to get involved in helping her uh, achieve her goal. Then he would have to step back from what he was doing. Yeah, no, a thousand times no. And the one of the issues is he signed this back in the summer. The editors didn't find out about it until it came closer to publication. So he had already developed the story. I think maybe if the the editors had found out about it back in the summer, they may have put the kibosh on the story. But once it had happened, and once he had written this gorgeous story, was it okay to publish it then? I, I would yes. find it hard. Yeah, I would I find it yeah, hard I to know. not publish it. And um, and then you do what they did, which was to kind of apologize explain. or explain to the readership what happened and wish, what they wished had happened, and and take um, the criticism that we're leveling out today. I would think that most readers, however, would say, "Ah, oh, you guys are being too picky." You know? Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Have a heart. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you don't believe in sister suicide. Yeah, that well, could be. But that's what we do. We should be picky. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should be we should be objective and picky part of the standards of the yeah. trade. That is all we have time for in this, wow. our, what is this, our 33rd year? How are we go here? That was Ira Fussfeld you were hearing from, Barbara Lombardo and Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. You can share your thoughts at media at wamc.org. Thanks to our producer, David Gassina. You're welcome. Hope you will join us again next week here on The Media Project. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. To get insurance, she employed skullduggery. She up and cut her husband's only throat. She chopped him into fragments, she stuffed him in a trunk. She shipped it all back yonder to her uncle in Podunk. Now newspaper men meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's unk. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. The Media Project is a national production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include former Times Union editor and current Substack columnist of the Upstate American, Rex Smith, Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Barbara Lombardo, the former editor of the Saratogian and a journalism professor at the University at Albany, and Ira Fussfeld, publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your producer, David Gustina. Thanks for listening. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage, ting-a-ling-a-ling newspaper guild, got a free new world to build, meet the people, that's a thrill, all together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the guild. Publishers of such interesting people Their policy is an acrobatic thing They claim to represent the common people It's funny Wall Street never has complained Ah, but publishers have worries For publishers must go To working folks for readers And to big shots for their dough Now publishers of such interesting people it could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people.
Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.